Okay, you guys ready? Mm-hmm. Time. Right. So first question. Uh, who is Jesus? God. He is God. And God saved us by dying on the cross. Okay. I'm curious. What do you think he looked like? I like this. Maybe he has like um like a beard, but like sort of um has long curly hair. Long curly hair? Do you think he looked older than me or younger than me? Older. Um... What do you think, Joel? You want to go on record for this one? Do you think Jesus looks older than me or, or younger than me? Well, it would depend on his age, but probably older than you. So what if I told you that Jesus was 33 years old when he died mm. on the cross and I am 50 years old? Then I would say he was still alive because he rose again and nobody can do that, not even you. You're right. You're right. <laughs> That's very good. <laughs> so then tell me, who taught you about Jesus? Mommy and Daddy and our church. Um, I think my mom and my dad did. Um, some of my church teachers did. And also both of my grandfathers because they're both pastors. Well, my parents and my Sunday school teachers. And Joel, you and I have had a lot of conversations. Did your pastor teach you anything? Eh. What advice do you have for us adults on how to get to know Jesus better? Well, to get baptized and accept him in your heart, read the Bible every day, pray every day. That's very good advice. I would give them a Bible and explain it. And then, uh, and then I would ask a church to baptize for him. And then I would ask the, a church to teach him. What advice do you have for the person that leads music at our church? I've got one. Um, amazing. I like Amazing Grace. I want to get baptized again. You want to get baptized again? Once wasn't enough? Because when I got up from my baptism, I felt so fresh and new. You said you felt so fresh and new. And I want to do that again because it felt so good. What have you experienced in your life that has just kept you intimate and consistently walking with Jesus? What practices have you uh, applied in your life and, and has been very meaningful on that journey? Well, I have found the probably the most impactful thing for me has been the, the mentoring of younger guys. Uh, let's face it, all of us need a Paul in our life and all of us need a Timothy in our life. And when I'm actively engaged in that, it keeps me really jumping to, uh, to stay ahead of them. And so it keeps me in the Word. And, and that's really a good thing for me. Another thing has been spending spending quality time with uh, with other guys, contemporaries, who because I mean uh, a 21 year old can only learn so much from another 21 year old, and, and the same is true from any uh, point in life. But to spend quality time with with other Christian men who are grounded, and to not talk about who won the ball game last night, but to talk about the Lord and to tell, just keep each other accountable, that has really helped me. Uh, a lot. Well, I have a wonderful walk with Jesus. 
it's that relationship that's ongoing and throughout the day, really. And uh, we talk back and forth quite a bit. Uh, and that is life-sustaining, too. It is very helpful. I began to take 2 Corinthians 5.10 as my daily word for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive that which is due him for the things done in the body, whether good or bad. And I began to realize that's not a scripture for the future. I'm gonna live by that each day. Any decision I need to make today, I'm gonna make it in light of the fact that Jesus is right here looking over my shoulder watching me make this decision so that when I finally come to stand before him, I shall not suffer loss, I will not be ashamed, but I will see the pleasure of my Lord. Good morning, church. If you don't know me, I'm Joel Lingenfelter. I'm the executive pastor here at uh, LEFC. And in a series entitled Words of the Wise, I felt like the best thing to do was introduce you to the wisest man in my life, my dad. <clears throat> Thank you. I am Sherwood Lingenfelter. I'm blessed by my son and privileged to live in Landis Homes with Judith, my beloved wife, and Joel's mother. She lights up my life in any room in which she's present. We together counted a joy and honor to serve with Joel here at LEFC. So as Pastor Tony laid out this series, he saw as its conclusion a sermon on what it is to grow in Christ for an entire lifetime. Now we'll be using a lot of scripture this morning, so if you don't have a Bible, please put your hands up. Our ushers will be happy to get you one. Uh, or if you're more of the digital type, the Uversion app, there's an events tab, and in that tab you will see Lancaster Evangelical Free Church, if you click on that, you'll get all of the scripture that we'll use this morning. So I'd like to begin with a passage from Colossians 1, starting in verse 9. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all of the wisdom and understanding the Spirit gives, so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience. <clears throat> Live a life worthy of the Lord. Now, what does that mean? What does it look like to follow Christ for a lifetime? You know, it's always a little intimidating to share on a topic like this because well, like every other person in the world, I'm not perfect. And, and my journey has its ups and downs, and the struggle with sin is real for a pastor just as it, as it is for every other person with a sin nature. But God has used people and opportunities in my life to grow me in Christ, and I believe it will be helpful to share some of what he has done and what that has looked like for me. The year was about 1975. The setting was Fort Wayne, Indiana at the Grace Brethren Church, the church where my grandfather was the pastor. My Sunday school teacher, a man whose name I don't remember, but I do remember his very epic 70s mustache, uh, <clears throat> he shared the gospel with our class. And one of the unique things I remember him saying was, if I were to die on a cross for you, it would do no good. 
Only Jesus, the perfect lamb of God, the one who was without sin, could take away your sins and mine. And although I was very young, it made sense to me. And it was on that morning that I made the decision to follow Jesus. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That's what it says in Romans 10, 9. And thus began my journey of growing in Christ. <clears throat> now years passed, and in 1983, we moved from New York to California. Now, as you'd imagine, with a move of that distance, we had to find a new church, and I was entering my junior high school years. This brought something new to my life, a community of believers. Believers who were my age, who were doing life together, and who shared a common faith in Jesus. I remember vividly sitting at the park next door to the church and having the first theological conversation I'd ever had in my lifetime with people my own age. This community had a profound impact on me. BYF, which they called Brethren Youth Fellowship, it happened every Sunday night, and this became one of the most important events in my life. This community took the coals of a relationship with Christ that had been growing slowly for years, and it blew pure oxygen on them, igniting a fire. You know, I think back on those times fondly. I think of the people who invested their lives in the youth of that church. Bob Clark, Steve Cohen, Paul Biddlecombe, Terry, Dwayne, and a number of people whose names I've forgotten. They all poured into our lives and they pointed us to Jesus. Every one of them was gifted differently, but God used all of them to draw us to him. Now, after high school, I went off to Biola University and many of those people who were so important in my spiritual development, I lost contact with them. But their work bore fruit, and my growth in Christ continued beyond their direct influence. So, Dad, tell me about a moment or two in your life that were catalysts for change in your walk with God. Well, Joel, I could share my early journey, which was much in common with yours. But I want to share a few critical moments in my adult journey with Christ. At 34 years of age, the same year that you professed Christ as Lord, 1975, Marv Mayers, a missionary anthropologist with Wycliffe Bible Translators, introduced me to the experience of walking and praying. I was astonished when we took the walk, praying together. You can't walk with your eyes closed. I thought, <laughs> I'd read the Sermon on the Mount and was convinced that closet praying with eyes closed was the only way. Walking and praying with Marv Mayers transformed my prayer life. I remembered that Enoch walked with God, and from that time forward, eyes open, prayer was no longer a chore. Later in 1988, when you were attending BYF, Joel, Clyde Cook appointed me to the, be academic vice president at Biola University. And shortly after I began to work with him, he invited me to join him in another revolution in my prayer life. In each week of the, lead, the meetings of the president's leadership team, we five began our meeting reading aloud a text from scripture, and then reading it again silently, and then praying around the table for the rest of an hour. This experience led me deeper into scripture, even more than I had ever done before. Reflecting on the word of God with these people, the Holy Spirit spoke to us. This practice has become central for my life in Christ, and since 2013, my wife Judith and I have made morning and evening prayer through scripture the habit of our lives. Our own, our own testimonies are important, and they give us a picture of what growing in Christ looks like. But the word of God is where we need to start when we want to know what God wants us to do in our lives. So this morning, our text, as we talk through what to do 
for this sermon, our text that just came, came through was Colossians 3. But this would be the best place for us to start. So join with me, if you will, the book of Colossians, chapter 3, starting in verse 1. Since then you have been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but now you must also rid yourselves of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other since you have taken off your old self with its practices and then put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge and the image of its creator. Here there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you, and over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace, and be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Colossians 3 continues that thought that we began with Colossians 1 that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way. What does it look like to live a life worthy of the Lord? Well, to give you a brief idea, as we look through Colossians 3, we're going to hit four key things. To set your heart and mind on Christ. Our life is hidden with him. To put to death the old self, the immortality, immorality, greed, anger, malice, and lying. To put on the new in Christ self, knowledge, clothed in the fruit of the Spirit, and love. And finally, to let the peace of Christ rule and the message of Christ dwell. So let's begin by setting our hearts and minds on Christ. It starts by seeking the things worthy of our station. Now, what does that mean? What does it mean to be worthy of our station? It means that when we are in Christ, the things of this world are below us. Our goals are not the world's goals. The world's goals, money, sex, power. But what we seek as believers is more important than those things. We seek the eternal things of God, not the temporal things of mankind. I love how the Apostle Paul begins with this outward focus of what we seek and what we set our hearts on, but then he turns to an inward focus of our minds and what do we do with our minds. Joel, just this week, your mother and I have been praying through Philippians 3. And in Philippians 3.18, Paul says... For as I've told you before, and now tell you again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction. 
Their God is their stomach and their glory is their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things. Now here in Colossians 3.2, Paul challenges us with the opposite. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. And so we ask ourselves, what does this mean? And how can we do this as we reflect on this today? In 1990, I was teaching an adult Bible fellowship in Belfar Brethren Church in California on the book of Colossians. As we went through this book chapter by chapter, we discovered Colossians 3. And as I led this group to reflect on this text for this sermon, we realized together that this text was a one-page guide to a deeper relationship with Christ. So that's why we're sharing it with you today. It's a one-page guide to a deeper relationship with Christ. I decided that morning that I would memorize this passage of Scripture. I made a Xerox copy of the text. I began a two-month journey of walking with this text, praying through the text, and memorizing these words. I stored them up in my heart. My goal was to set my heart and mind on Christ. Now, these words that Dad was memorizing, they reveal that our walk with God begins when we die with Christ. Verse 3 literally says we have died. The old person, the sinner whose life is ruled by their sin nature, is dead. Our new life is then revealed when we walk with Jesus, living out the truth of God's word day to day. You know, one of the great mysteries is that Jesus actually lives within us. It says in Ephesians 3, I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. Christ dwells in us. Christ works through us to make us holy. And as a result, the light of Christ shines through us to the world as we grow in him. Every single day is a journey. There will be success, there will be failure, there will be redemption. But whatever happens, it will always be underpinned by the love of Christ. In here, it is here that the Apostle Paul then makes a transition from the things that we are, are thinking about to the practical, how do we live this out day in and day out? Paul says in the text, our life is hidden with Christ in God. I've never quite understood this statement until meditating on this scripture in preparation for this sermon. I have the benefit of looking back, however, over 70 years with Christ. And as I look back, I realize that every critical moment in my journey with Christ was hidden before I took the first step. At a particular moment when the Holy Spirit sensed that I was ready to listen, uh, the Spirit revealed to me a next step, but nothing beyond. Only after I took that next step and began to follow did the Spirit show me one step more. In Joel's testimony, he shared about the spiritual impact of our move to California. I can tell you that I turned down the first invitation from the Holy Spirit to make that move. But the Spirit, through a mentor, invited me to reconsider, and very reluctantly, I did. When I said yes, then the Lord gave me more challenging steps. When I said yes to each one, his blessing became increasingly obvious. One of my greatest blessings happened when I was preparing this sermon with Joel, when he shared with me how that same move had brought him to a church where the youth group set his heart on fire. 
If we hadn't gone, that probably wouldn't have happened. The scripture goes on to tell us that once we understood that we've spiritually died with Christ, we may then, by the power of the Holy Spirit, implement the next verses, 5 to 7. And so I'm going to talk about verse 5. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Now, how do we put to death greed or the hunger for more of anything? About 1995, Joel and Patty decided to purchase their first house. After a couple of weeks of exploring possibilities, Judy and I, uh, they took Judy and I to see the house they were considering. As I recall, it was a beautiful property in the city of La Habra nearby, and we discussed together that property. I heard their excitement and then their anxiety about the asking price. In my spirit, I sensed that they hungered for more than they would be able to afford. I quietly suggested to them that they should go home and read Luke 12, in which Jesus warns us to beware of all kinds of greed. Joel will tell you the rest of the story. <laughs> Indeed, I will. So Patty and I went home, and, and really it's worth understanding, at least at the time, the wisdom of the world was you should be aspirational in that, particularly your first home purchase. You're going to make more over the years. You're going to grow into this, buy the biggest house you can afford, then if you don't, you don't have to buy a new one later. And, and it was just, that was the prevailing wisdom. And so we went home, we read Luke 12 reluctantly, we talked through it, we discussed it, and we realized that we needed to make sure that our focus was on pursuing the things of heaven, not the things of the world. So we didn't purchase that home in question. However, God did provide a home for us. It was one that we were able to use for ministry, we were able to raise a family in, and it was crucially within our budget. But more importantly, it was a reset on where does our treasure lie. These verses are a shift from the instruction to the application. How do we live out seeking the things above? We put God's priorities above our own. That's how we do that. So let's continue with our text. It says, because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived. This is exactly what we see in Romans 6.23. The wages of sin is death. You know, the apostle, he makes it clear in verse 7, this is not a message for someone else. It's a message for each of us. While maybe you don't tick every box on Paul's list, our unredeemed flesh was ruled by sin. And these are the ways of sin. All of us are sinners, and our sin has earned us the wrath of God. It has brought death upon us. But there is good news. See, that verse I started continues. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. That's Romans 6.23. When we admit our sin, when we believe that Jesus died for us and rose from the dead, and when we choose to follow him, we change our course. We no longer are headed for destruction. We are on a path of righteousness through Jesus Christ. In verse 7, it says, the life we once lived, that is who we were before Christ. But as we've already covered, once we become a follower of Jesus, that old self is dead. So if our old self is dead, what does it look like to live in Christ? Let's look at verses 8 and 9. But now you must also rid yourselves of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. 
Do not lie to each other since you've taken off your old self with its practices. In verse 8, Paul surfaces the issues of the emotional part of our life. You know, I've often thought about this because when crisis comes, I always respond emo emotionally before I respond with my mind. Anger, rage at a brother or sister who acted and spoke in some way offended you is an emotional thing. I have a personal brother in Christ who uses Facebook to express his anger and rage on a regular basis about our government, about anything that displeases him. But in his personal conversation, he declares openly, Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior. Everything I do is because of him. But on Facebook, he's like driving his car, windows closed, shouting in rage at drivers that cannot hear him. Paul challenges us, get rid of that emotional life and put on this new life in Christ. One of the things I love in verses 8 and 9, there's just something kind of fun going on in the Greek that's easy to miss in English. In verse 8, he uses the Greek word apotheste, and this means to throw off, to be done with, to take off like you would take off clothes. The idea is that we're just getting rid of it, and the NIV does a great job. It says, rid yourselves of these things. But then verse 9, when he says put off, there's something a little different going on there, and it's the Greek word apekdisomenai, which is really hard to say. Um, but that word is about rendering powerless or about disarming. And it specifically says we do this to ourselves. So the idea is that we need to give up that power that we hold over one another. When we lie, when we choose to, to do that, we do so because we want to retain the power. We want to be in, in charge. We want things to be going our way. And God tells us, no, set that aside. Disarm yourself. Let, put those things down and instead take up the mantle of Christ. Verse 10 continues, and have put on the new self which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creature. Here there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is, all, and is, and is in all. Once we have taken off the old clothes of our unrighteousness, we're to put on our new reality, the redeemed life in Christ that we now live. I think of Romans 12, 2 here. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Why? So that we will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. See, Paul continues by reminding the church that our divisions are not important, but what, important, what is important is what makes us whole. To understand those divisions, it might be useful for us to paraphrase verse 11 for our 2021 American context. Uh, instead of saying, uh, no Jew or Gentile, what about here there is no immigrant or birther, no Protestant or Catholic, refugees, Afghans, black or white, but Christ is all and in all. If we begin to think about this in our own categories and the things where we divide ourselves, that's really what the text is speaking about. Now, Colossians 3.12 is my favorite verse in this chapter. Uh, I'll read it. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. I want to think about first, who are you? Chosen by God. Isn't that incredible? Isn't it wonderful to be chosen by God? The second piece, we are holy. Can you imagine that? 
We're sinners, and we know, but we're holy because of Christ. The third thing, we are dearly loved. This is so powerful because God loves us. Christ loves us. And, and in, in the body of Christ, we love one another. So what can be better than that? But then we're admonished to get dressed. Now, I think about getting up every morning. When I get up, I get out, and the mirror is right there in the bathroom. I look in the mirror and see how badly my hair sticks up, my greasy, wrinkled face, uh, and uh, every morning it's the same. Bad hair, body odor, toilet, and then getting dressed. What will I wear? <laughs> I call this my default setting. Paul admonishes us to consider our spiritual default setting. And when I look in the mirror, I don't recognize I'm self-centered, I'm grumpy, I'm unkind, I'm impatient. You need to ask my wife. But I'm in need of a spiritual shower as well. And that's a critical part for all of us. Get dressed spiritually. Paul says, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. I will confess to you that I don't do this unless I prayerfully ask God to clothe me every morning. Because typically when I get up, I'm just the same grumpy guy I was the day before. It's in Christ that I'm changed as I ask him to bring about this change in my life. One of the things that I love as I consider verse 12 is that the clothes that we wear reflect how the world sees us. You know, when people don't know me, what they see is a big man in, in jeans and cowboy boots. But when I speak, they get some sense of who I am. So when you speak, does the world see and hear anger, rage, malice, filthy language? Or do they look at you and see compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience? I think Paul uses clothing because it represents how we appear to those who don't know us. So do we appear as one ruled by the world or do we appear as one ruled by Christ? Paul goes on in this same text in verse 13 to say, bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. Now the notion of forgiveness, uh, especially when somebody has hurt you, is pretty challenging. And uh, I just remember a few days ago, I was watching a TV program in which a brother in Christ gave his interpretation of a particular passage of Scripture, and that was just fine. But then in conclusion, he spoke with utter contempt to me and others who disagreed with him. Uh, and he, I could see his face, his words, his lips said to me, if I did not agree, I was raka. I was contemptible. I was outside the boundary of the Christian faith. I could not be saved. After listening to those words, I turned off the TV in angry and distress. Perhaps you feel this way when you listen to the news. That evening as I lay on my bed, I couldn't sleep. For almost two hours, I burned emotionally about this experience of rejection. Finally, about midnight, I remembered Colossians 3.13. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. I then realized how many times the Lord had forgiven me, not just once, but 490 times and more. As I pondered such forgiveness, I realized that unless I forgave this man who I've never met, I would not honor Christ, and I would not sleep. I asked the Lord to help me, forgive, bear with, bear with this, this rejection and contempt, love this brother in spite of the way he spoke to me and spoke to others. What a beautiful reminder of how we should respond in Christ when we are offended. Of course, you told me that while you were awake and unable to sleep, 
God enabled you to think about this sermon. So I'm genuinely grateful that he kept you up all night. <laughs> but this is a good reminder that everything we do needs to be covered in love. So if we look at verse 14, it says, And over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in, per in perfect unity. As we walk with Jesus, everything we do needs to be covered in love. That's the glue that binds all of our lives together into a package that represents Christ to others. When we're compassionate, we need to be compassionate out of love. When we speak truth, we need to speak truth with love. When we extend mercy, we extend mercy from a heart full of love, overflowing with who Jesus is. Let the peace of Christ rule and the message of Christ dwell. So as we move to this last section of this text, uh, verse 15 is a beautiful verse. Let the peace of Christ rule in your heart, since as members of one body you are called to peace, and be thankful. I ask the question, how can we picture the peace of Christ ruling in our lives? I've told you how a simple Christian TV program robbed me of my peace. Good sleep, late into midnight. So how do I respond? How do I get the peace of Christ back in my heart? And what I learned from that experience was the first thing I need to do is to endure the offense, knowing that it was done and I can't change it. And so I, I have to live with that. But secondly, for my healing, I need to forgive that person, even though I do not know him personally. But in my heart, this man is still a jerk. So how do I change my heart? Okay, that's the real issue. How do I change my heart? If I think deeply about how God loves that person, then I must repent of my judgment. God's love reaches way beyond mine. God loves that man just as much as he loves me. And, and he loves all of those that, that would be offensive to us just as much as he loves us. And so God's love reaches way beyond mine. And so what I have to do is submit to Christ, uh, invite him to take over my heart, and let him rule. Lord, change my heart to love even those who are my enemies. And then the last thing he tells us in this verse is this, be thankful. At this point in my journey, being thankful has become a daily habit of life and prayer for both Judy and me. We have so much to be thankful for. Why should we worry about these small moments in which we're offended or hurt or somebody troubles us? God has given us so much. And as we look back and remember all of that, we can be thankful. I'm thankful for my dad, for sure, and my mom and my wife. Um, but I want to continue in our passage. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. This passage of scripture, Colossians 3, is something we can use every single day to remind ourselves how to live a life worthy of our calling, how to grow in the likeness and the image of our Savior. You know, our opening video gave us some glimpses into the lives of people, young and old, who are following Jesus and are clothed with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Now, I guarantee you, every one of them is embarrassed to hear me say that because they can think of times when they have failed. But that's what makes the grace and mercy of God so great. He does not hold our failures against us because the blood of Jesus washes our sins away and presents us to God 
as blameless. So over the last four weeks, you've heard many words of the wise on how to follow the unchanging God of the universe. In my journey, it was community that kicked my spiritual growth into high gear, a community built by people who sacrificed their time to pour into my life. For Gene, in our intro video, it is mentoring younger men that holds him accountable and keeps him growing in Christ. For my dad, a mentor, a structured time in prayer, and discovering in community the beauty of Colossians 3, those are moments that are signposts in his journey with the Lord. Growing in Christ is a lifetime pursuit, and every single day we need to be acting on Colossians 3, setting our hearts and minds on Christ, putting to death our old self, clothing ourselves in the fruit of the Spirit, and letting the peace of Christ rule our lives and the message of Christ fill our hearts. Any journey is a sequence of steps. And as Dad mentioned earlier, so much of it is hidden in Christ, but we have to trust him and simply take the next step. So I ask you, church, what will your next step be in growing with Christ? Maybe you don't yet know him, So the beginning of that journey is as simple as admitting you're a sinner, believing that Christ died for your sins and rose from the dead, and then choosing to follow him. A simple prayer, confessing your sin and asking him to be the Lord of your life is all it takes to begin the greatest journey of your life. Several children in this video mentioned baptism as a point where they grew in Christ. You know, this is a simple act of obedience but it's a great opportunity to proclaim to family, friends, and the world that you are a follower of Jesus. Maybe that's your next step in your faith journey. If it is, please contact us at the office. We'd love to make that happen. In my life, it was community that really shifted my faith into gear. Do you need community? Well, our ABFs, our adult Bible fellowships, that's adult Sunday school classes, they start next week. The welcome desk has information on what those, what those groups are like. Uh, Maybe that's not something you're looking to do on a Sunday morning, but you'd love an even smaller group. We have connect groups starting September 22nd. You don't need to sign up, you just show up. The information is on our screen, it's in your bulletin, and it's online. Show up and find a group of people that can be your people. Or maybe your, your next step involves serving. Like Gene, you want to pour into the life of someone younger. Kidman urgently needs your help. Visit the family check-in desk. That's the big round desk over there to to my right. Maybe you go, man, kids kind of scare me. They're small. They they stink. I don't know. But but maybe students, youth ministry would be more your speed. They're always looking for new leaders. What about your family? Maybe you say, hey, I want to just start at home. Well, hey, we have something coming up for you. It's called the Family Discipleship Summit. It's on September 25th. It's really about how can you begin to make your home a home built on making disciples in Christ. The most basic way we grow in Christ is to connect with him through time in the word and prayer. And if that's not a regular pattern for you, I encourage you to start with Colossians 3. Use your time in this passage to set your heart and mind on the things of Christ and let him lead you to what is next. Dad, would you close us in prayer? Gracious Father, we have come to you with gratitude and thanksgiving for this day. Joel and I have just shared what you've given to us this past week. And Lord, now we ask that you would take whatever has been given here and use it as you wish in the hearts and minds of every man and woman who are here. 
We pray, Lord, that you would speak in the power of your spirit. We ask, Lord, that you would help each of us to hear what you have for us in the days that are ahead. And so, Lord, we just now commit your word in our hearts. And, Lord, we ask that you would help us to hear and to do it. We pray this in the precious name of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. Church, let's stand to our feet. This gospel, this good news is worth celebrating. I was buried. I was buried beneath my shame. died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God when Christ who is your life appears then you also will appear with him in glory church do you get it we were in the grave our fleshly being that one that is ruled by sin 
It's dead. We can set that aside. We can be called by Jesus every day and run out of that grave into a glorious, glorious walk with Christ. Amen. Amen. Come on, let's sing of this great rescue. I needed rescue. My sin was heavy, but chains break out the weight of your glory. Praise God, praise God. Listen, if you need to pray with somebody, if you need to talk with somebody afterwards, I'll be up front. There may be somebody back in the encounter room. Uh, be happy to do that, particularly if, if today is that first glorious day where you've said yes to Jesus. I'd love to talk to you about that. If you're afraid to talk to me, talk to the person you came with. They would love to know. But I want to close with this as we go out for the week. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Amen and amen. Have a glorious week. God bless. <laughs>